Welcome to Beyond the Lecture, a podcast from the American Academy in Berlin. I'm your host, R.J. McGill. Sir David Chipperfield is a world-renowned architect who has designed and refurbished some of the most iconic buildings in the world, including Berlin's Neues Museum, the Neue Nationalgalerie, and the newly opened James Simon Gallery on Museum Island. On March 21, 2019, Sir Chipperfield was at the American Academy to deliver a lecture entitled Identity and Sustainability. In the lecture, he discusses his work at the RIA Foundation, an NGO that enables architects to serve society through comprehensive engagement in urban planning. Berlin architect Jason Danziger sat down with Sir Chipperfield to discuss how architects can and should serve their communities and society more broadly. In your 2014 speech about the renovation of Mies van der Rohe's Neue Nationalgalerie, you said, our task is not only to repair its body, but to protect its soul. This is obviously a hallmark of your work, generating a dialogue between the past and existing structures. Could you tell us a bit more about how you might use layering and construction details to allow the past and the present to coexist? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, as architects, you know, we 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 find it we found it a sort of strange responsibility to to be restoring and repairing uh, a building like uh, Mies uh, National Gallery because, in a way, it's a, it is very much about putting back what was there um, and. Beyond that, I suppose we find it strange to be um, more and more engaged, or more in, in, engaged generally in the protection of buildings or the, the, um, the restoration of buildings, because it's not it's not something we set out to do as any sort of speciality. So, um, I think this is very much a Berlin story for us. Um, clearly. Uh, the responsibility of Noyes Museum for us is where the story began. Um, and uh, Berlin is this unique uh, place where history never stops. I mean, it's um, the old saying that every, every city has history and Berlin has too much is somehow true because these layers uh, sorry, these layers are um, all around us you know you, you just scratch a surface and it, and it's here so the 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 role of, of history in a project like Mies I would say is maybe not so important I mean I, I don't think we're we're not trying to to say anything through keeping a building apart from how important that building was and I suppose the other thing we're saying is that the responsibility of repairing it is is one of um, staying as close to the original intentions of the architects as possible and therefore that's a dedication to Mies himself because clearly there there would be other could be other buildings where you might be at liberty to wander off a bit more but I think with Mies you can't. I mean, there's, there's no ambiguity in the details. There's only God in the details. So, um, 
uh, that's a very you know unique uh, situation, and I'm not. It's never that sure what the relationship between the work we do on uh, restoration repair is to our other work, but that's probably a different story. I, I think it's interesting the question about the history of the Mies Museum compared to your other museum work in, in Berlin. And um, it's there's a sort of a bridge between a kind of a cleaner history. It's interesting for architects rather than one where the Noise Museum is about the whole city and everything that's happened here. Um, when you And you also said it's not exactly what we set out to do at the beginning, starting in our practice. What, what might you have set out to do? Um, well, we set, I set out to be an architect, and, and um, you know, I was trained in the 70s, uh, late 70s, and um, the training we had as an architect then was to make substantial contribution to society through our practice, and I think that's what all architects are, are innocently trained to do, um, only to be surprised that when we get out, um, society is not necessarily waiting for us in those, that way. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I suppose when I say we weren't, um, we didn't set out to do that, I didn't imagine myself to be spending time uh, on uh, historic buildings, I guess. Um. Not that I, I mean, not that I don't mind, I mean, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy doing it. I'm just saying, I mean, I think my point was that I'm happy I'm here, but I didn't, that wasn't how we imagined. You have said that architecture is in a sort of crisis because it has lost its social purpose. Given the changes that are occurring in cities because of technology, do you foresee a renewal of architecture's social purpose? And if so, how can we architects contribute? I don't see it anything to do with technology whatsoever. I think it's to do with politics um, and I think it's to do with the construction of contemporary society that <coughs> um, planning uh, has turned into a, a um, reactive process instead of a proactive process and we are very much the victims of that and so I think architects used to be much more engaged in um, uh, uh, planning and and buildings used to be part of a bigger strategy, a bigger social strategy. If you think about after the war, you know, there was a huge amount, whether it was Germany or, or Britain or the European countries, there was a huge amount of rebuilding and in a way rebuilding society. We weren't just rebuilding staircases and facades we were um, building a new world I guess I mean that that was the 20th century um, vision of architecture and, and and architecture became wrapped up in this through many phases of, of um, modernist period through the early days in terms of giving shape to how this new society might look and uh, express itself and Later, and certainly 
after the war in terms of social housing projects and before the war in social housing projects um, and in considering how new architecture would would reflect new society and how that would be part of the idea of, a, of the city um, and you know the utopian dimension of architecture as it was embedded in modernism uh, has gone um, we we don't see uh, architecture that way anymore that um, the 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 powers that might have pulled the levers to make um, uh, such moves uh, are, are no longer there. Um, so we, as a profession, are, are much more limited in in uh, what we what we can do. It doesn't mean to say that we don't have importance or what we do isn't important. But clearly, if architecture is, in my opinion, has two aspects to it. One is the the physical stuff, you know, what we make architecture out of, and it's our craft, it's our poetry, it's a, it is the wall, it's the window, and how the window opens, and how the space connects, and the material of the floor, and and the proportions of the room, and how the stair connects one level to another, and how the facade, you know, works in composition with it. You know, that's our that's our stuff. But what's the stuff for? You know, that's that's our societal purpose in a way. Now, if you build a private house for someone, are you making, you know, what sort of societal role? Well, in a way, you are hopefully making those people's lives happier. And through the way you design the house with them, you maybe improve the quality of their life, etc. Um, but I would say that. The second part of that story is, you know, what is our societal role? What what is our architecture for, and how engaged is that is our craft um, in societal ambition? I think that's that's a much more difficult thing now. And I would say that you know, the lack of uh, the lack of planning, the lack of social housing, the lack of social purpose in terms of... Um, I mean, I think you would feel this slightly less in Germany um, than we would feel it in in Britain, let's say, or in America. Um, but essentially, we've tended to, to move from being valuable to society to being valuable to the economy. I mean, what we essentially, our contracts normally are to do with increasing value. Someone buys a piece of land, wants to invest in the piece of land, wants to um, optimize the value of that land through what they build, apartments or offices. Um, and therefore, we are helping them do that, which is great. I and mean, we, we, That's a transaction. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, our we have a diminished responsibility in those places where we don't add um, quantifiable value. Designing a school, designing social housing. You know, we, you, by your engagement, you don't make the school more valuable. Um, by your engagement, you don't make social housing more valuable because that's not the idea. You know, that, um, so I would say that's where 
our territory, our, our standing, and our, our role is being quietly and slowly pushed aside. Um, because, I mean, again, I was taking that, I can speak better about the Anglo-Saxon system, we don't build social housing. Um, architects are very rarely commissioned to do schools. On the contrary, paying an architect to design a school, you're just using up money that could have been spilt, spent on more classrooms. Why, why waste your money? Um, I'm not saying that's not me saying that, that's somebody else saying that, but um, that's a government minister, that's the Minister of Education saying, why would we waste our money on designing schools? We know what schools should be like. We don't want architects to get rich from doing that. I mean, that's a very strange position for architects to be in. Might it be possible in this case for, for architects to choose uh, other kinds of pr program or to try to actively seek out projects such as kindergartens or schools? Is that, is that something that might be possible, to do great design in these contexts? Look, I think it's, it's always possible to, to um, position yourself uh, and, in a way, uh, adopt tactics to do some of these things. Um, so you can, you can approach it that way, and I, do, I think you're right. I think that um, we have to think about how to operate in a different way before we can't... We can't I mean, can, the, the thing is, an architect is not an artist. He doesn't sort of sit up at night and say, you know what, I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to paint a painting, or I'm going to design a school. Um, we need someone to commission the school. I mean, I mean, we could design it, but where's it going to go, and who's going to build it, and who's it for? So um, that's a, it's, we are, com you know, we, we, we need a relationship to power, we need a relationship to commission, we, we are complicit in that process. Um, and that's why architecture is so interesting, because when it does work, it is societally embedded. It's not just a, a, a sort of autonomous action of a creative person. Um, it represents something more than that. It represents a more collective value. I mean, a piece of architecture is a conspiracy of, of people. It's not just an architect doing it themselves. So that's why this collective effort, I think, has possibly more, more value and more importance than a painting. Um, however, you know, w we need that. And uh, we... You're an architect. We've all been trained. We presume that we we have good intentions. We're not just um, uh, exerting our egos and trying to make lots of money. I mean, it's the behind our profession is some. I mean, we're not doctors, but uh, we do think we are in some sort of service to society, um, and therefore. Uh, it's disappointing that if you put the, the label architect on your door and sit there and wait for society to come and ask you to, you know, then you see the difference between being a doctor and being an architect. Um, so I, I think how, you know, I think we could adopt guerrilla tactics, and certainly in our own office we do a number of projects which are strategically, you know, and they're pro bono and they're, you know, they're... Uh, 
we we put ourselves in a position without necessarily being invited sometimes um but that's a strange <laughs> it's a strange existence in a way you'd like to believe that that society um would choose to ask architects to do things and, and by the fact that we're not i think that's a bigger that's a bigger problem but certainly i think we i think the profession has to rethink its itself and and by the way i think the problems coming um are, are so big that we will have to change you know i mean the environmental issues and societal issues which are um uh, i think they were going to fundamentally um shake us and enforce planning you can't deal with issues of, of uh, sustainability and, and resource without planning. You can't just keep eating, you know, what's in the fridge and imagine that someone's going to restock it. I mean, we are we are essentially doing that, and we're not. And I think that we are part of that game. We, you know, we are we are we are players in in uh, you know in a bigger picture. And although. A lot of responsibility has been taken away from us. I think we have to somehow regain that. As you know, and also speaking of the social purpose, social purpose-driven design, 2019 is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Bauhaus, which, uh, for our listeners uh, who might not know, was a movement dedicated to the social purposes of design within the context of mass industrialized production. In terms of your own practice, have you found that international building material production, um, such as Shuko windows or Nora floor materials, have made it easier to maintain a consistent architectural language? Or have you instead found that this makes it harder to actually anchor a project to its context and site? Well, I think the standardization of, of the construction industry um, is slightly different issue than the Bauhaus, which was, you know, um, the, the idea that design was in the service of society. I mean, what we were talking about before. There's nothing wrong with the standardization of building components and and the improvement of, you know, building elements. I mean, it has gone along parallel with the de-skilling of construction and and craft um what what the Bauhaus believed in was that you sort of moved craft from from the fingers to the brain in a way you know from the from the idea that it was people chiseling away at something making something extraordinary to someone designing something which was um much more in in accord with the machine um it that looks very old-fashioned and romantic nowadays. Um, clearly, uh, uh, craft has this. We don't, apart from in restoration projects, we don't chisel bits of stone and do. I mean, that there's except in the very luxury end. So clearly, um, industry is now, um, you know, making things at a scale that they never did, and there is a certain element of design engaged in that. I would say the only difference now is that the important designers of the Bauhaus were again not necessarily engaged in in leveraging uh, financial value, 
but they were interested in leveraging social value. So the objects they designed were always trying to be um, mass objects. Now, if, you're, if you go to the Salone de Mobile in a few weeks in Milan, design is there not to make a sofa cheaper or a chair cheaper, but actually to leverage the value um, of a simple object from being a piece of metal, a piece of plastic and a bit of felt uh, that costs 23 euros into something which can sell for 230 euros because it's designed. So we are now in a much more consumerist environment where things are given purpose by their by by their value you know and i think this is a shift in design design intentions no one is going to come to you now and ask you to design a very cheap glass when i design a glass for alessi they try alessi they're trying to add <laughs> they're trying to make the glass more expensive that's just how our system is working and i and i think it's running out of steam i think we can't keep doing that Almost a year ago, you wrote a passionate letter about Brexit and how its leaders are not being sufficiently challenged, and that architects working in the EU and Britain have to speak up to defend their practices. The EU summit will decide tomorrow, March 22nd, if the March 29th deadline will be extended. We're at the brink. Where do you see things headed? Well, there's one aspect of Brexit which I think is pertinent to um, design and everything else, which is that... The, ide the ideology behind Brexit, behind the people who have pushed us into this position, not the people who voted, but the people that insisted that there should be a crisis, um, is a particular branch of the Conservative Party who believe in escaping from European regulation. This is what's, what it's about. It's about um, going to a more deregulated society. Uh, because... As Anglo-Saxons, we, we, we have this conviction that um, regulation is against enterprise. The market works better when it's free of regulation, uh, which is a sinister concept. And, and I think this is something completely underestimated in the Brexit story, that um, at a point when we need more regulation, certainly in terms of uh, issues of environment and of um, energy, of sustainability and resources, of clean air, of all sorts of things, which are going to be the big stories. You know, um, we need to impose one way or another, whether one calls them restrictions or regulations or whatever, some sort of coordinated logic about how we do things. We can't. We can't just keep uh, picking the fruit. Uh, we. There's none left. I mean, we've got to, we have to look after things. So that means, and that's why I started at the beginning, it's about coordination planning. And, and we, we have to approach this in a much more intelligent way, and we're not. And, and everything is linked, and we're, we've, we've de-linked everything. So we're seeing planning decisions um, encouraging the escalation of value in the center of towns. It means that people are traveling long distances from out of town means you're getting social ghettoization because the center of towns can only be afforded by rich people. 
um, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're getting enormous amount. And so I think it's a long answer to Brexit, but um, I think going forward, we have to uh, engage, impose upon ourselves strategies and, and um, coordinations of resources and of, of um, decisions about how we live and where we live and how we use our, our resources, including land, including air, including, you know. Um, and we have to impose those things on us. We don't do it, and the market doesn't do it. The market wants to find a way around it. The market wants to escape those things. So this is the challenge in future, I think, is how do we, we somehow, the consumerism has, and the free market has encouraged us that, um, uh, to be very subjective, to be very individualistic. All of the issues confronting us to do with the environment uh, and societal issues are collective. They're, they're not, in, I mean, we, we have to act more collectively. And to act collectively, you have to start, you have to start um, uh, accepting codes and behaviors. And that's to do with each other and to do with, with, with resources. And that's, that's to do with regulations in some. I mean, to call it a very, a crude, a very crude tool is, is something called a regulation. Um, but that's, that's critical. Uh, you know, a river starts in Spain and goes to Portugal. You put shit in, in the river in, in Spain, I'm sorry, it ends up in Portugal. So where is borders? Where is, where is individuality? Where is, where is um, you know... Those things, I mean, we, we're learning in, in environmental terms that things don't stay where, you know, if you take fish out of the water here, they don't swim there. I mean, it's, if you dirty the air here, you end up with it there. These, these things are not, we can no longer just say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, I, I didn't realize that was your fish. You know, I mean, I didn't realize that was your water. Um, that doesn't work anymore. Thank you. That's great. I, re I appreciate you. Uh to have been able to meet you and hear these things. So, you're welcome. You've been listening to an interview with architects Sir David Chipperfield and Jason Danziger. You can listen to more of our Beyond the Lecture series interviews on our website, americanacademy.de. There, you can also read the latest from the American Academy's Berlin Journal, watch recent lecture videos, and connect with the Academy on Facebook and Twitter. Our show was produced by Tony Andrews, and I'm your host, R.J. McGill. Thanks for listening.